My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review, where you will experience original podcasts discussing salient current events with a focus on the facts, evidence, and available data of the topics and issues selected. Let us begin another episode of the Christopher Peter Podcast. The recent trash talking involving Colorado State University head coach Jay Norvell where he takes issue with Deion Sanders wearing sunglasses and hats during press conferences has sparked another interesting culture debate. In regard to the comment, I think it was unnecessary for that to be the criticism. It was a personal shot that did not seem to be necessary. I firmly believe in politics and sports one must focus on the main subject and not take unwarranted personal shots. Making inferences that a person who is not only a Hall of Famer but is generally regarded as one of the best to ever perform in his field was not raised right was unjustified. We must not let our views of the world make unjust accusations against others. I believe the inference part was the mistake. And for Deion Sanders' part, I thought he handled the issue very well by elevating the conversation from the normal division context to a unifying message. When they made it a race issue, he stated, it was not a white and black thing, it is a we thing that he was breaking the door for everyone to be united. For me, I think there is an interesting underlying debate over culture. A somewhat misguided use of traditional values and manners, which naturally led to a pushback from pundits who will advocate for more coastal values or progressive approach that by default rejects any norms that transcends the here and now. While the traditionalists versus the progressives will always be a debate where the default to either side is not appropriate. There are many situations that call for traditional approaches and other areas where we can modernize our methods. I think Pat McAfee raised a good point that you cannot judge a person based on their looks alone. People are not always how they appear or how we initially perceive them. People who wear suits every day and read their Bible have done some things that are despicable and counter to the values they espouse. We cannot always assume that people who wear badges of liberalism or progressivism are actually consistent with demonstrating the inclusive values in their everyday behaviors. There are many times where people perceive a flaw in the character of others but fail to see the same flaw in their own set of actions. For example, I remember being in a Walmart in the early to mid-2021 and I just happened to be wearing a blue shirt that day. While endlessly looking for something in the sporting goods aisle, I hear two women having a somewhat loud conversation that is getting closer to in which they seem to be discussing recent political issues. One of the ladies was very adamant that her credentials as a liberal would never let her view the world as those despicable Trump voters. Ironically, shortly after a couple claims about people she despises and classified as racist, She turns and asks me where a couple items are and what the price of the item in her hand. While standing next to the price check machine that actually worked. I guess in her world it is alright to automatically assume that a chubby biracial man wearing blue must be a Walmart worker, which there is nothing wrong with working there. But to contradict your position so quickly was pretty interesting. Of course I pointed out their folly that I did not work there and that they passed by a price scanner, drawing a laugh from her friend and other shoppers in the aisle and embarrassment from the lady, who did apologize but it is human nature to make quick judgments based on incomplete information that is a first impression. Of course a few months later I wore the same blue shirt in another Walmart and a man asked me if I worked there. The difference was that he had that first impression but decided to qualify if that impression was accurate or not. I think that is the part many people miss is that they do not want to challenge their first impressions of others. We all have initial reactions when we interact with someone for the first time or experience something new. We compare it to our preconceived notions and past experiences to determine if it feels normal. But we should challenge our biases to make sure we are seeing the true picture. That is part of being a critical thinker. We all have biases and we must challenge those biases. Not every person is the negative stereotype of their respective demographic. Not every Cowboys fan is delusional thinking every year their team is going to win the Super Bowl. There are moments in life when we do need to consider what the first impression says about us. 
situations where we want something or need an opportunity and need to convince another person that we deserve that opportunity rather than another person. Deion Sanders and Pat McAfee are two people at the pinnacle of their respective fields. They do not need to conform to any norms. They are a known entity. For most of us, we need to make good impressions when we apply for jobs, when we interview, when we seek promotions, funding, and networking opportunities. Out of all the potential candidates that these could be given to, there is a need to set the comfort level for these opportunities to come to us. So I am not completely dismissive of the idea of the importance of manners and traditional values. Although I am not sure that hats and glasses really fall into that category. Other than at the dinner table I guess. I have heard so many people complain about dress codes for work, interviews, and certain norms of professionalism. While constant adherence can be challenging or costly, one must understand that until you establish your reputation and become an irreplaceable performer, you need to comply to a degree to give employers, investors, and others a reason to give you that opportunity because there always is someone else who is willing to comply simply to open the door for themselves. Sometimes you have to play the game. Unfortunately, the sad reality is that no one gives anything for free. And everything in life is a competition whether we like it or not. We will never truly solve our traditional versus progressive debate because there is a great level of extremism and no room for compromise. There are many people who fall on the side of complete obedience to the norms associated with traditional values, manners, and attitudes, while others fall on the side of complete rejection of those norms. The idea of normalcy is really relative to the person's view of traditional values. Both sides want the other to accept their ideology in its totality otherwise the other is not inclusive or immoral. We must remember that diversity is a foundational principle of our American culture, along with freedom, opportunity, and self-governance. Part of diversity is understanding that there are differences in attitudes, behaviors, and values. And to be all right with that. There is not a need for complete acceptance or compliance with one set or another. Rather the acknowledgement of all parties' right to exist and be afforded equal consideration. That is important. Because in many societies one group will seek power and use power to eliminate or silence the opposition thus creating a culture based on coercion and forced compliance. Again, I think the comments by the Colorado State coach were unnecessary. But I think the pundits framing the situation too was just as harmful. In an era of hysteria where everything is me, 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 I like that coach prime made it about we. In the end Colorado survived in overtime in what turned out to be a great game in the end. Speaking to our culture, we need sports fans to stop making death threats towards any athlete, coach, or their families, especially against college-age athletes. Colorado lost a major star to what was a dirty play, but that should not result in the level of threats his family is receiving. The people who give out numbers and addresses are shameful and should face the stiffest level of justice out there. The outcomes of your sports bets or your fantasy football game should not lead you to threaten the safety of anyone else. That is not something we want to continue to fester in our culture or grow to the same hooliganism that we see in the soccer world where people have lost their lives because fans were angry with outcomes of games. Let us be better. Now let us bring in the team for a group conversation on recent current events. We are going to do things a bit differently, where we just have one extended conversation covering current events, politics, and policy. Let us start off with the House Republicans initiating an impeachment inquiry into possible corruption regarding Joe Biden's alleged involvement with his son's international business dealings in Ukraine, China, and other places. Keep in mind that an impeachment inquiry may be the initial start to the impeachment process, but it reportedly is simply a fact-finding part of the process. Congressional Democrats are criticizing the move as without basis. But there really is more probable cause with this impeachment inquiry than anything that involved Trump in comparison. There are reportedly whistleblower testimonies, suspicious activity reports, 
and alleged recordings referring to Biden as the big guy who wants the deals done. Also reports of fake names and emails used to allegedly facilitate the dealings, which the White House wants people to believe is completely normal. The American people are growing concerned that there is a level of corruption here based on some polls, which is not helpful to a president that is severely underperforming on every major issue his administration has faced since taking office. Again, the allegations are just allegations at this point. But the more information that comes out the worse it looks for Biden. The natural political excuse that some Democrats will try to use is that this is a retaliatory political witch hunt by Republicans who felt that Democrats have pursued their own witch hunts against Donald Trump. Political revenge. But it really is not. There is enough information to warrant a further look into the allegations. Whistleblowers, recordings, bank inquiries, and behaviors that give the appearance of potentially serious corruption. If true, the criminality with the allegations against Joe Biden is far more severe than the ones Democrats levied against Trump. Charges for settling with a porn star for a personal matter. Charges related to retaining documents, which both candidates did. In reality, much of the wrongdoing Trump is accused of are misdemeanors being elevated to felony charges for no apparent reason other than to fulfill the goal of preventing Trump from returning to office. The accusation of corruption against Biden, if true, will basically show that he allowed his influence as vice president to be used for at the very least the benefit of his son, if not both Hunter and him. If these recordings do truly exist it will be very interesting to see how involved he was in the transactions. One must consider how a person with industry experience moves up the ladder to the executive level without any prior experience. That does not happen without somebody making it happen. We all know people who have advanced in careers because their family was close to someone in power and an organization. Companies do not just advance people with merit or other forms of influence. Democrats claim that this is simply to appease what they deem as far-right members. That is what one would expect them to say. The look was not really good on either part. More conservative members of the House Republicans wanted to advance what they wanted for some time. And the botched plea deal and subsequent appointment of a special counsel that is not outside of the Department of Justice makes the situation look questionable. There is a reason for House Republicans to want to look into possible corruption because something does not look right. Now this is not a fabricated narrative or purchase dossier. Hunter Biden was under investigation for quite some time. Before Joe Biden took the oath of office. While I did believe Republicans should be more reserved than Democrats were with the use of impeachment, I do think at the very least there is an appearance that there is something not right and they are within the right as overseer of the federal government. As you said and others have said, this is just an inquiry at this point. I wonder if it was done because it allows for greater investigative authority than what was available under normal circumstances. I am not sure. But there does seem like there is reason enough to look into the matter. Where there is smoke there might be fire. I am not sympathetic towards the party that set the precedent that is ultimately used against them. Democrats have this whatever means necessary and achieve the political end without concern for truth, appropriateness, and concern for the implications for our politics. Before Trump took office they foamed at the mouth to find any and every reason to pursue impeachment. Now, they foam even more rapidly to find any path towards preventing Trump from rerunning. So it is somewhat disingenuous when there appears to be enough allegations that warrant some level of oversight review. We cannot take Biden at his word that not inappropriate happened when we know he lies or fibs continually. There is that inconvenient saying that if you lie about something small you will lie about anything. I think to some degree Democrats are stunned at the fact that the 91 charges levied against Trump have done little to shake his base support, which has been the obsession by Democrats to break this phenomenon. 
but the allegations against Biden without any formal charges have impacted the perception around Joe Biden. Concerning for their potential future candidate. A lot is stacking up against Biden right now. His job performance is not very good. The economy is not doing well. America is funding a proxy war that may eventually escalate rather than resolve itself. Our domestic situation is in decline. And America is experiencing an unprecedented illegal immigration crisis. One can assume that inflation will start to creep back up as we are running out of oil in our strategic reserve as the price of oil has not dipped to a low enough level to resupply it. So the one trick the federal government was able to offset a bit of the energy-related inflation is no longer on the table. The same environment Trump was able to exploit in 2016. Except America is in much worse shape in many ways in comparison to the Obama era. Or are we just not getting the message of the messaging the White House is sending us? The messaging is a lie. Bidenomics is not helping Americans. It is helping to foster increases in the level of poverty and economic hardship. The American public needs to stop thinking they can believe Joe Biden anymore. A man who just lied to the public and claimed that he was at ground zero the day after 9-11. He is a serial liar. He tells stories and there are still people who somehow find the nonsense endearing. The situation is similar to what Trump was able to connect with voters who were seeking an outsider or a non-establishment politician. But he also was an unknown entity in the sense that he was a superstar business personality that we knew from real estate stories, The Apprentice, and a cameo on Home Alone. Now, he is a former president with a great deal of baggage, real and Democrat manufactured. The Make America Great Again was a catchy slogan at the time but it is an essential call this time around. The issue voters have is whether Trump is the right person to deliver this solution again. We know Biden is not. The only thing Biden built back was illegal immigration. Bidenomics must mean people working harder and keeping less of their hard-earned money. Must mean an economy where special interests on the left have elected officials who skew industries toward their financial interest using coercive public policy that does not address the supposed problems this administration claims to be solving. There are two growing personal flaws that we are seeing occur with Joe Biden that most Americans should have concerns over. As Jennifer just stated, he is showing a consistent level of dishonesty, using storytelling to sell what some are trying to downplay as fibs. But they are downright lies for political purposes. This is not a new phenomenon. He has done this for quite some time now. Also, it is clear that he is losing the capacity to do the job, as so many in Washington are doing nowadays. While many are concerned about the state of Mitch McConnell, we also need to be heavily concerned with Dianne Feinstein and John Fetterman. This whole notion that people in government should serve for life is an outdated concept. Many times these people remain in these positions not because of their job performance but because their districts have become so gerrymandered that they cannot be defeated. Or there is no spirited effort to replace them. This is why each political party needs to be competitive across the nation and not abandon districts to the opposition. Especially, the GOP who just allows Dems to control our large cities to their national demise lay the foundation for a reversal by showing the willingness to engage with these voters and force some of these dinosaurs to retire. Speaking of retirement, Utah Senator Mitt Romney announced he will not seek re-election. Those new minds will make decisions that the not-so-new minds will live under as well. But they are not the only people living under those decisions. Keep in mind. Not only did he announce his intention to not run again, but he went on a bit of a rant attacking Trump, Biden, and others. I guess when there is not an election ahead of you, there is a freedom to say what you want. Good for him. Mitt Romney has a checkered record with many Republicans and a worse record with Trump Republicans. In order to secure his win in Utah, 
Rami relied on Trump's support. And then appeared to turn his back on him afterwards. So not sure his decision to retire is about the need for new voices or the reality that re-election may be difficult due to his current standing. Bad enough for his niece to decide to drop the Romney name. In all fairness, Mitt Romney is a better person than many people give him credit for. He should have defeated Barack Obama. But he refused to go dirty when Obama fabricated a number of lies about him. He is a principled moderate in a time where moderates in either party are becoming extinct. What is Romney's legacy going to be? For Democrats, Romney is the originator of Obamacare with his health care reform package enacted in Massachusetts. For Republicans, he is the originator of Obamacare because of his health care reform package enacted in Massachusetts. Look he was a runner-up to the late John McCain in 2008 and then won the nomination in a weak field. Only to not finish the job. He was an effective businessman. Probably even a good governor and senator. But politics is largely more than what laws were enacted. I am not sure that many Republicans have a positive opinion of him. Although it is probably not a fair assessment. The moderate Republican or moderate Democrat is going to something that will cease to exist. Even Joe Biden who was thought to be a centrist is clearly obedient to the progressive left-wing agenda. A left-wing wolf in a centrist sheep's clothing in 2020. I think both Republicans and Democrats agree on the opinion that centrist politicians do not stand for anything or will waffle when it matters most, which is something both conservatives and progressives do not want. Both oppose compromise and negotiation. Rather they prefer that elected officials stand for something ideologically rigid and be willing to use every perceived power to advance that agenda. This is why so many socially harmful precedents are coming to fruition. We do need moderates in our politics in this day and age. And I believe voters agree to a point, but they are not making it happen. Voters put in place a gridlock Congress. Seems like they are not completely sold on either the conservative or progressive agenda. But moderates are surviving the primaries. I still believe that effective leaders are ones able to bring solutions to problems rather than creating situations where governments are forced to act quickly rather than crafting solutions through deliberate negotiations and compromise. I think we need more moderates. But voters do not connect with moderates. In Romney's defense, I think he had the right policy platform in 2012. He just never pushed back in the fabricated lies that Obama repetitively messaged against him. For Democrats, Romney is the originator of Obamacare with his health care reform package enacted in Massachusetts. For Republicans, he is the originator of Obamacare because of his health care reform package enacted in Massachusetts. Look he was a runner-up to the late John McCain in 2008 and then won the nomination in a weak field. Only to not finish the job. He was an effective businessman. Probably even a good governor and senator. But politics is largely more than what laws were enacted. I am not sure that many Republicans have a positive opinion of him. Although it is probably not a fair assessment. I know people who voted against Trump even though they liked his economic policies and felt it was good for them simply because they did not like him. When asked why they did not like him and what exact action made them not like him, they struggled to come up with a specific action. They did not like him because they were not supposed to like him. That is what the prevailing opinion is supposed to be. The media tells people not to like him regardless of what his policies actually did. In the case of Biden, the media seems like they are scratching their heads with him. They want to give him the same lapdog treatment they gave Obama. But Biden messes up too much and they cannot effectively spin it. Well that is our conversation this week. Next week we will be back for another debate. Now, let us move on to our next subject. Citigroup is one of the largest financial institutions in the world let alone the United States. The banking division, Citibank, 
is the third largest bank in the United States by assets, which many of you might not know because they no longer have a truly national footprint like they attempted to do in the past. So I think they are a great brand to introduce you to if you are not a resident of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, or a few other places that are the focus of their domestic strategy. Let me start off by saying that I am a Citibank customer. I came into the city customer base through my first auto loan, which required me to open up a savings and checking account. A reasonable request if they were going to help me complete my first vehicle that I purchased brand new. That Ford Focus I discussed in my investors podcast episode. After I paid off that vehicle early, I kept my accounts because I really liked the customer service quality and convenience it offered at the time. At the time, City was in the midst of expanding its territorial footprint into the Philadelphia market, one that brief. A few years after opening my account, all of a sudden there were a great deal of new branches and ATM locations available so it was convenient. As we know, the venture into the Philadelphia market did not last long. In 2013, Citibank had to leave the market with its tails between its legs because it failed to really penetrate the market as it intended. It was not that Philly was not a suitable market at the time, but I would argue it did not do far enough in terms of connecting with prospective customers in the face of stiff competition and Bank of America moving into the market through their purchase of fleet. Wells Fargo has a strong foothold in the market with its acquisition of Wachovia, which entered the market by acquiring First Union, which was my first bank account, which I have kept to this day. Lucky for me, the city failure in Philly coincided with my relocation to northern New Jersey, so I was not directly impacted. But it was inconvenient when I came home to visit. Why did City fail in Philadelphia? Personally, I believe it did not do enough promotions to penetrate the market. Again, there was an increase in competition that happened at the same time. But banks like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and PNC made sure customers knew they were there. City was not effective in their marketing strategy. I remember getting flyers. But I still believe, direct marketing will never be as effective as television ads, sponsoring events, or simply putting your brand where people can see it. Bank of America entered the Philly market through acquisition. Existing customers already experienced with the fleet brand who would be prepped to transition to the new national brand. Wells Fargo acquired a large bank in Wachovia and with it came the naming rights of the arena that housed the popular Philadelphia 76ers and Philadelphia Flyers. Conveniently located right next to a highly traveled interstate with millions of eyes to see. City was attempting to attain new customers not familiar with the brand and compete in a market where there were more attractive alternatives. They did not do enough in my opinion to connect with the customer. Not only a problem they had in Philly. City pulled out of Cincinnati at the same time as their withdrawal from Philly. Not soon after they made further pullbacks to focus on a few key cities that they already had a major stake in. City is not like any other bank in the sense that it is one of the few banks in the world let alone the United States that has a true global reach. For multinational corporations or companies that have business transactions with foreign suppliers or customers, it affords you the ability to engage financially with stakeholders in a way that almost no other institution can replicate. I believe that City could do more to make this known beyond just the large-scale institutional clients they seek. I wonder how many of these manufacturers, distribution operations, and regional production plants could have used the City services in southern New Jersey and the areas above Philly and eastern Pennsylvania. But there is always a cost of customer acquisition, which may be higher when you are competing against other institutions that are simply trying to build the established presences. So it might not have made sense to spend the financial capital on market penetration in areas that they simply are not established. Especially following the financial crisis, where big banks left a bad taste in the mouths of many Americans across the nation. The focus of city is more high-value areas where they can focus on obtaining more returns from the customer bases. 
A smaller customer base that pays better is more efficient than a large small transaction base that has greater risk and complexity. To some degree, I thought it was a fairly good approach to focus on New York City, home of American banking, stock trading, and the hub of wealth management. Focus on Los Angeles, a city with a great number of high-worth individuals with financial needs to be met. Chicago the commodities hub of America. In a way, City was ahead of the curve when consumer tastes changed how they engage with their bank. Consider that in the past, banks competed for customers by flaunting the number of branches and ATMs they would have access to. But with new technology, the number of branches is less important than the number of financial services available and the convenience. In a way, City was ahead of the curve by reducing their branch count. Less employees to compensate and reduced real estate expenses. Even though they pulled out of the market, there were still options to open accounts and be serviced through online banking and third-party fee-waived ATMs. Now, many branches of any bank do not see enough foot traffic to justify a fully staffed location. You need a loan? Go to a website. You need a credit card? Go to a website. You need to transfer money? There are a plethora of apps for that. The traditional bank branch is now obsolete for most transactions. Although people are going cashless and financial tech is constantly evolving, there are still reasons to go to branches. Again, one aspect of the city experience I liked was the branch experience, which was usually friendly, helpful, and allowed me to get the most out of my services. But this is also the area where I believe the greatest drop-off in quality in recent years. Not just a result of the pandemic. I always believe that a business should perform best in its home market. And the city experience one will find in New York is not the one I grew accustomed to in southern or northern New Jersey. For instance, a power outage at Queen's location drastically altered my experience with city. What was supposed to be a quick withdrawal before meeting people for lunch became almost a five-hour nightmare where I had to change my bank accounts, debit card, and establish an additional account simply because the power glitched while using the ATM. I was not the only one. And of course, the person who assisted me did not get it right on the first try. But a branch outside of the city was able to fix the mistakes along with a call to customer service. Also, I noticed when I am in Long Island, there is a better chance of finding ATMs that are not working that day than one that can actually meet your needs. Now, these are inconveniences but it did make me think about City's branding and its consistency with that branding. It was not enough to make me stop using City as my primary bank. But, my mind always goes to how well is a company demonstrating the values it markets to the customers it wants to attract? How consistent is the performance of its operations with the brand? Everybody has a bad day but does that bad day become every day? That is what you kind of want to know. For a while, I noticed there was a degree of bad local management practices that some branches openly demonstrated, which countered the traditional experience you used to have with City. When you shrink your footprint, you hope where you step you can better maintain the quality you tell your customers to expect from you. Now, I still believe that City is a great bank and there have been improvements lately. I do like that they are being more open to offer investment services to account holders. And they are doing more upselling than in the past. But I still see some unflattering news about the brand. For some pundits, City may not be performing as well when compared to the other big American banks. While City is a top three bank by assets under control, it is now a top three bank in terms of market capitalization, one-fifth the market cap of J.P. Morgan Chase. Fairly new CEO Jane Fraser is restructuring the organization in a manner that I am sure she hopes to increase value and improve operations. The organization will fall under five interconnected businesses. U.S. personal banking, wealth management, investment and commercial banking, trading, and institutional services. She hopes that this new structure will eliminate inefficiency and create the value that shareholders are desperately seeking. The scaling back might have cut costs that provided some value, 
but I do think operational changes could help. This seems like it can help City be more focused in its operations and improve quality and services as each seems to have a focus on specific services to a specific customer base. Previously, City was structured around the type of client, personal or individual banking and institutional, it was going to serve. Now, I believe it would be much easier for leaders to deliver value to consumers because they have the product mix and the customer targets. Unfortunately, there are some people who will no longer be with the organization as they eliminate redundancies. I hope that this will actually deliver the needed value. I once owned shares in City, but I offloaded because of the lack of value and the quality issues I was seeing and hearing from others would undoubtedly lead to lower future value. But this might be the right prescription. I will be open-minded and watch closely on whether the share values respond positively and whether it should become part of the CRC fund. A big thank you to all of you in the audience. Your viewership is appreciated and valued. Please follow the Christopher Peter Review on social media and continue to visit www.crcreview.com for new episodes. Thank you once again. Until next time.